Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Now, Aaron, you were mentioning you, you've been tackling watching the, the MCU films chronologically. That's got to be a fairly involved project. Yeah, no, it is a challenge, actually. To, you get you get through two or three, and you're like, I think I'm done for a day or two, and you take a break, and then you come back mm-hmm. to it. But I have found a few things, Jim. Okay, would you care to share? Yeah, the, the first are not so groundbreaking. I think they're kind of expected. I was mm-hmm. mildly surprised to find that the Hulk was not in the chronological MCU on the Disney Plus app. And I think the simple answer is that's a universal movie. They don't have the rights for it, right? There you go. I, I don't so. think that means they're disowning it from the MCU. I just think uh, they don't have the rights to put it on their channel. And then the mm-hmm. exact same story for why Spider-Man would be missing from the chronological MCU. Those are Sony pictures. And so uh, Disney doesn't have the right to put those on their channel either. So I think mystery solved. Put away your Scooby snacks. We got this one. Uh, <laughs> now, what does show up in the chronological MCU, this is where it gets kind of curious, is that they put in Marvel What If as as a canon for the MCU in the, in the chronological MCU. Now, the reason I'm so flummoxed by this is that if you scroll elsewhere throughout the Marvel section of the Disney Plus app, you'll see that they've got Agent Peggy Carter, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. right there, mm-hmm. ready to go. But it doesn't show up in the chronological MCU timeline at all, Jim. And S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't show up there either. And uh, Inhumans, they have Inhumans on the app, but they do not have it in the chronological MCU. But they do have Hawkeye. They do have WandaVision. They do have Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then they have What If. And that's where I got so confused because they're clearly disowning a few but they are incorporating the new stuff that's showing up on the app, like Falcon Winter Soldier. So what if makes me think you could be right, Jim, that dark sorcerer Supreme may actually be from the animated world uh, in that new Dr. Strange trailer. And I I could be wrong by poo pooing that so early. Hmm. I did find one mistake also so far in the, in the timeline, uh, since we were talking about Dr. Strange here is that Mm -hmm. while watching uh, Captain America and the winter soldier, they have the three helicarriers that can take out any threat on earth at a moment's Mm -hmm. notice. And Mm -hmm. while they're talking about possible threats, they mentioned Dr. Stephen Strange is one of the threats that they could possibly target. At that point in time, we still have to get through Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Captain America Civil War, Black Widow, and Black Panther before we get to the introduction of Doctor Strange. So now I have to wonder, because my memory can get fuzzy over the years, did we have a huge time jump within the movie Doctor Strange itself where he has his accident and then goes to study? And is it like a two-year gap from the time the accident happens to the time he is... The sorcerer, because that you could know, explain I, it away. I don't know. Yeah, but let me turn to our very dedicated audience. If anybody's going to know, it's these folks. So, well, uh, as I keep watching, I'll keep an eye out for more clues. Okay, cool, cool, cool. 
Okay, folks, we're about to jump into the week's news, and what a surprise, there's a lot of Spider-Man news, but speaking of news, the news portion of this week's edition of Marvel Us Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. This was the day that the nominations for this year's Academy Awards were announced uh, very early out in LA. I want to say 5.30 or thereabouts. And while Marvel Studios would have loved a Best Picture nomination for Spider-Man No Way Home, didn't happen. I had an industry friend reach out to me back on January 27th. That was when the Producers Guild of America announced its nomination for the Best Motion Pictures and Television Shows of 2021. And as soon as the PGA opted not to nominate Spider-Man No Way Home for its Daryl F. Zanuck Award, that's the one that's given out to the producer of that year's outstanding theatrical motion picture. My friend said, that's it. No Oscar gold for Spidey. They'll begrudgedly give it a nomination for Best Visual Effects and get a few nominations and maybe awarded to in the tech categories, but it's now officially locked out of the, the prestige categories. And sure enough, this morning that John Watts film only came away with a single uh, award nomination, predictably in the visual effects category. It's going head-to-head with uh, Shang-Chi, Dune, Free Guy, uh, and No Time to Die, which all have stellar effects. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see which of those five films winds up taking home the Best Visual Effects Oscar. You were noting, though, that maybe there was at least one person on the planet who benefited from their association with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home? Yeah, well, I think that everybody was so enamored with the way that Andrew Garfield handled his his portrayal of Spider-Man in No Way Home, especially that one scene where he saves MJ and that very emotional. Everyone, you know, will admit to being, I got choked up when I saw that. Even the burliest of men will have a little tear in their eye at that moment. And uh, so a lot of people were like, oh, that guy needs an Oscar, but we're not going to give it to him for this little itty bitty role in Spider-Man because it's not his movie. It's Tom Holland's movie. So it's like, what else can we do? And apparently uh, Andrew Garfield is associated at least with four Oscar nominated films this year. Spider-Man being one for special effects. Um, Another one is uh, he is nominated himself for best actor is Tick, Tick, Boom. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, man, the guy's done a lot of good work. And while we can't nominate him for Spider-Man, can, can we push some goodwill over towards one of these other projects that he acted in? Uh, I think The mm-hmm. Eyes of Tammy Faye is another one that That's right. he That's was right. involved in where I think uh, yeah, Jessica he, Chastain he played, got the, he, the actress maybe nod in that or, or something well, she played Tammy Faye to his Jim Baker. That's yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's mm-hmm. three out of the four. And there, there is another one that he was involved with that got a nom for something. But anyway, it was oh. like, hey, he's, he's done a lot of great work this year. Let's look at this one role. Did he do good enough that we can just kind of push all of our goodwill into a pile into that one and give him the nomination? I, I mean, I don't know how it all goes down, what those people are thinking when they cast their vote. But mm-hmm. uh, he's done good work. He deserves some kudos. So you know, give the boy his lucky charm and let's move on. (laughs) What's kind of interesting is that one of his biggest cheerleaders right now is actually Tom Holland. Tom is, of course, out doing the promotional tour for Uncharted, which, by the way, opens in theaters uh, a a week from when the show drops. 
That's another movie Tom Holland won't get, win any Oscars for, by the way. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there, a little prediction. I know it's far-fetched to have such a bold claim so far in the future, but... You used to want to win an Academy Award because a movie would stay in theaters for months. And the notion was that if you won, you could then get three, four, five, at least weeks, maybe months of, of more ticket sales. Whereas I don't think we live in that world anymore. And the PR team at Marvel... Again, without a Best Picture nomination, they immediately pivoted back to, well, what tub are we thumping? And of course, it's we are now just $11 million away from, from Avatar's box office back in 2009 and 2010. They've actually projected out when it looks like it's going to happen. And as of right now, because ticket sales have slowed, the belief is that it'll be the President's Day weekend, which is uh, Saturday, February 19th through Monday the 21st. That's when it's going to slide past Avatar and ticket sales. I'm told that the full page ad for the trades, which is kind of a tradition. is about Willem Dafoe's teeth. It is, isn't it, right? They're saying, hey, did you guys notice straight teeth when he's Norman, crooked teeth when he's Scotland? Was that what the ad said? Wait, what did it would? I don't know if you, did you ever see the ad when, uh, for when James Cameron's Titanic passed Star Wars is the highest grossing film. Yeah. It's this wonderful drawing of all these Star Wars characters on the Titanic as it's going down. And right. I think Jabba's being lowered into a lifeboat. Supposedly they've got one of those. And of course, what's <laughs> evidently the, the Cameron people who don't miss a trick, they are going to use this ad to, by the way, remind people that Avatar 2 is coming out in theaters December 22nd of this year. And just because I love the joke, Avatar what? <laughs> was there a thing called avatar once upon a time i forgot 10 months it's 10 months away I, and 10 and years away you mean it was a long time yeah. ago jim a really long it, time ago it, it was and they they have shot a, a good you know they've shot two a goodly portion of three mm -hmm. and there were folks at disney that i'm told there's the avatar a media conference room that, you know, I mean, I, I think D-Day to that sort of looks like a picnic in a park compared to how they're going to make the world aware of this thing. I, you know, that, that, that you will not be able to escape Avatar 2. The other thing that they're planning on doing, in addition to that full page ad in the trades with James Cameron congratulating, you know, Kevin Feige on his film passing uh, Avatar, Marvel's going to use that moment to announce that, oh, by the way, on February 28th, Spider-Man No Way Home will be available on digital, the, the HD and the 4K. That's a day early, isn't it? I thought it was March 1st originally. Did they move it up? I don't know that evidently they've crept in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And remember, we were talking about how the Blu-ray and the DVD would go on sale two weeks after that. Right. Evidently, Marvel and Sony combined reached out to all of the sites that had released that information and literally made them scrub it off of the web. The belief was that we don't want to put this information out there because if people in North America know that Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be available on digital in late February, early March, they won't buy tickets, which means we won't pass Avatar's box office numbers. Right. So it was one of these things where it's like, they frantically went out there and it's like, you know, didn't you, it wasn't. Their news out there about this coming out of digital in, in February, and then they went to Sony and went, Hey, you got those men in black neuralizers? Just everybody, quick, quick flash this way.
All right, there never mind. Well, I, I, speaking of which, you know, uh, stepping in and making people forget things. Uh, did you see the Zoe Saldana thing? No, I completely uh, forgot all about it. I mean, I thought I knew about it a few days ago and something happened and I just blanked. I don't know what you're talking about. Please, there we tell, go. please tell me more. Okay, well, but I, evidently I, I escaped the neuralizer. But it was Zoe in her dressing room for uh, Guardians Volume 3. She's wearing her Gamora face makeup. And she's taking a picture in the mirror, but in front of her is the giant three-ring binder that has the Guardians 3 script. And evidently, when she first took the picture, it's reflected in the mirror, so it's backwards, it's upside down. But people were still able to sort of read some of the script. And so he noted later that day on Instagram, had to take this down because of Marvel security. <laughs> so. Uh, a couple hours later, after having photoshopped him, she's able to put it back up. But where the Guardians Volume 3 script had previously been in the image, there's now a lot of green scribbling. And she added, now that I've covered what they don't want me to see, everything now is right as rain. You and I have had the, this conversation before in regard to Tom Holland. He supposedly accidentally released the name for Far From Home. And I, I think you and I both called shenanigans on that because it just... Right. Given the way Marvel's PR team is, it just didn't seem likely that he's going to leak the name. But here's, here's the interesting thing. Again, he, we were talking about Holland out there promoting Uncharted, and he was actually talking about dealing with Marvel's PR team. And he was talking about, you know, he's on doing, out doing early press for No Way Home. Uh, and he said, I actually got in trouble in the press tour. I got a call from some people at Marvel saying, stop saying the movie is brutal. Stop saying the movie is emotional. That doesn't sell the movie. You know what, though, Jim? It sounds like the more we talk about this, mm -hmm. it's inspiring me to write some fiction is what it's doing. And it's called the Marvel PR team. And uh, what happens is if you say too much, uh, one day you could be out having a lovely steak dinner with your gal and a black bag is put over your head. Next thing you know, you're in a van. <laughs> and it's the Marvel PR team. They want to have a word with you. What did you tweet, mister? What did you tweet? If you want to go back in there before your shrimp gets cold, then you'll tell me what you tweeted. Actually, it's cold shrimp. Never mind. If you wanted to get back in there before your shrimp gets warm, you'll tell me what you tweeted. Marvel PR team. Coming this fall, Wednesday evenings, only on CBS. So that's what really ticks off Disney is they can't even get it on ABC or Fox. It's on CBS. <laughs> um, but to continue, that, 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 no, 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 no. I, that, that, I, I would watch that show. I really would. But Holland goes on to say, but it is emotional. It's one of the most emotional superhero that's ever been made. And they're like, and Marvel said, look, we want people to understand how fun it is. And I was like, it is fun, but it, it's also kind of heartbreaking. So I had to sort of change track on how I was promoting the movie, but I, I'm glad I at least gave people some warning. But the whole notion of bring Kleenex to, your, to the Spider-Man movie. I think he's right on because the the reason that Spider-Man has always been the hero is because he gets beat down, beat down within an inch of his life. But then he's got the strength, the inner fortitude to get back up and do that last breath final punch thing and save the day. And uh, 
brutal is, I think, an appropriate word for the character because it is, you know, kind of violent sometimes with the the fighting of the foe. And mm-hmm. emotional, I think, is also uh, appropriate because he's a character that cares very much about his family and his friends, and he's always trying to protect them and keep them out of harm's way. So I think brutal and emotional are keywords that define the Spider-Man character. And uh, right on to Tom and boo to the Marvel PR team and your black bags and your mystery vans. <laughs> Um, also worth noting that he is continuing to thump the tub for, for Mr. Garfield. You know, he was talking with comicbook.com and, and just flat out said, look, I'd love to see an amazing Spider-Man three. I, what was so wonderful about Spider-Man No Way Home was, was how Andrew's version of Peter Parker was able to kind of make amends and kind of win back the general public. And I, that's why I'd love to now see uh, another Spider-Man movie with Andrew's version of Peter, see where that character would go now. So, of course, before that can happen, someone actually has to write a script for the amazing Spider-Man three. And hadn't they, they had done. No, I don't, I don't think they put any money into it until they counted their beans at the end of amazing Spider-Man two. Cause it's uh, usually business wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with studios and whatnot, and you got to figure out how you did, and then mm-hmm. you course correct. Because did the guy write a you know whom, whomever wrote your script? Do you stick with them mm-hmm. or do you change? Right, it's like switching quarterbacks, mm-hmm. uh, and that's part of it. But well, I had a friend that uh, he was going to go see the uh, Spider-Man Far or No Way Home. And I, mm-hmm. he goes, what, what should I watch beforehand? And I said, watch all of the Spider-Man movies. And he's like, all the ones mm-hmm. with Tom Holland. And I said, no, 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 all of the Spider-Man films from 2002 all the way on. So he did. And uh, he watched them all in a marathon right before he went to go see Spider-Man No Way Home. And he wow. did catch the fact that mm. MJ's fall in No Way Home, he's like, it's shot for shot, the exact same. The sound was the uh. same. And he's like, and he's like, as soon as I saw it, I knew. I knew what mm. was coming. I had this dread. And, and the reason that it was so fresh in his memory is because he had never seen the movies before. And the fact oh. that they actually killed off Gwen Stacy was a complete shock to him. Like, I can't believe that you guys can do that in a movie, mm. right? Kill the girl. You can't kill the girl. That's That's a rule. And so uh, that he was emotionally kind of traumatized a few hours earlier by Gwen's death. And then when it starts to happen to MJ and they do everything visually and sonically the same, like he's, he was ready for the adult diaper of like, oh, no, here she goes. Oh, my girl. And then that Andrew saves it. And he was just elated and had that sheer joy, that weight lifted off the shoulders. Like, oh, I could cry, too. And, you know, even admitted to shedding a little tear at that moment. So I think that they're such good engineers at this point. Mm-hmm. They know how the machine works. They know how to tune that engine and they do it well. And, uh, and they get the response that they want. And back then, no, Sony did not have them pre-write a script for Spider-Man, but now I think they're going right four, five and six quick <laughs> while Tom is young. Well, I, I'm kind of hoping I, in the not too distant future, your, your friend will sit down and have to watch Deadpool and Deadpool 2 before he then heads out to see Deadpool 3. Because Ryan Reynolds is actually out there talking about Deadpool 3. I mean, you know, uh, the, his whole career as Deadpool started by Ryan Reynolds out there talking about Deadpool when he shouldn't have been talking about Deadpool. It was like yep. Fight Club. You yep. know, first rule is you don't talk about Deadpool. What's Ryan do out there? And start talking about Deadpool. But, but here's the interesting thing. He got asked, do you think Deadpool, he's been working with the writers. He's really pleased at the way it shaped up. 
And evidently, Disney and and Marvel are are still behind the idea of, okay, this will be R-rated and this will be as outrageous as the other ones. But it's just, what's holding it up at this point is supposedly just in the past year or so. He's done uh, Free Guy, he's done The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, he's done Red Notice, and he's even got The Atom Project, which is a a new film for Netflix that opens next month, uh, March 11th. And the poor guy has had to shoot a number of very big effects-filled films under the, the safety protocols for COVID. And it's just been a colossal pain in the ass. And supposedly it's Ryan himself. It's like, look, nothing personal. I really want to make Deadpool 3. I just don't want to make it under COVID protocols. So, you know, can we hold off? on shooting this till after that wraps. And just in in the past week or so, a couple of stories have bubbled up about what it's like to shoot a superhero movie in the era of COVID. And Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, the two writers of, of No Way Home, talked about, for example, how they had to change Aunt May's death in that movie. It was originally supposed to be inside of an ambulance. It was supposed to be this really tight, small scene to really heighten the impact of, you know, Peter in the ambulance with his aunt as they're racing to the hospital and and she's fading fast. But the production team is like, with the COVID protocols, we can't shoot inside of an ambulance. We can't, you know, that there's just no way we can do this safely. And so that's actually why they changed it to the wide open spaces of the lobby of Happy Hogan's condo after, you know, uh, the Green Goblin had thrown that pumpkin bomb and basically blown out, you know, Mm -hmm. the doors and the windows. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it literally forced them to change the story. And another thing that McKenna and Summers revealed in a recent interview was that the Green Goblin was originally not supposed to be. No Way's Home, central villain. I mean, the, the big bad, the one who took out Aunt May. Now, mind you, Chris and Eric would not reveal which Spider-Man villain was originally supposed to be. What? No Way Home. Wait no, a no minute. Way Home was who was running that interview? They should have just shut things down right there. Unless you listen to me, pal. You'll give me the details and you'll give them to me now. See? I know that you've got family. I'll find them and I'll do horrible things to them unless you tell me the real villain. Well, it's interesting you say this because our buddy, Drew Taylor, actually did get to interview uh, McKenna and Summers. He went nose to uh, nose with them? Did he get the details, Jim? Well, no. I See, this is the thing. In fact, this piece ran on the wrap January 8th, and I, I actually have to head over there now and check out to see whether or not he got the story. But again, you know, the, this is the writer with this original interview. I don't know if it's a question of they couldn't get who they wanted, or again, it might also be one of these situations where due to COVID, face it, when you're dealing with the Green Goblin and you've got a guy who's flying around on his wing, so to speak. Well, you know what? I mean, logically, we can we can work through this one real quick. I mean, uh, if you had Doc Ock, he had the, the tentacle issue. The tentacles were controlling him. And once you fixed that, he was a good guy. He converted at the end mm-hmm. of Spider-Man 2. So it wouldn't seem right that he remain villainous unless the tentacles remained in control of them. So there's your, Mm -hmm. your if to keep Dr. Ock in play, Mm -hmm. but uh, you also had Sandman. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thomas Aiden church really was not there for the filming at all. It was all voiceover work. And I do believe they 
reused a scene from Spider-Man 3 for his transformation back to human form. Mm-hmm. If you were to take a, one of one of the scenes where he's going from sand to human or whatever back again mm-hmm. from Spider-Man 3, I, th- I think it's just reused with a different background behind him. Uh, mm-hmm. And then... So you you don't have him, and then uh, same for Reese Ifans. Uh, he he wasn't there. I don't think for mm-hmm. anything, but doing voice work as well as the lizard. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have those guys available, that could make it difficult to make them the main protagonists, and and that would be why they could have been. But then again, Sandman at the end of Spidey three, Spidey let him go, and they were buddy buddy. And Sandman starts off defending Spider Man, saving him from he getting does. shot. Right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it would be him. The lizard is usually out of his mind rage monster. So that's a, a good possibility. And then you finally have Electro as a possibility. And you know that he was available because he was in the whole dang movie. And so if they didn't have, it wasn't because they didn't have access to the guy. So I don't think that they were thinking about him using him either because they had him. Mm-hmm. So I, my vote goes for the lizard. Hmm. I have to admit, he seemed weirdly sidelined i mean that whole bit of you stay downstairs in the truck yeah you know well um, i think amy pascal during an interview it was asked about you know reuniting all of these various actors and if if it was a challenge and she had mentioned that you know there was difficulty getting one but it wasn't mm -hmm. the one you think and we all were assuming it was toby right off the bat so if it wasn't the one you think that means it was one of the other ones and uh that could have been that could have been reese we're going to put Drew in the case. Yeah. At the very least, folks, make make a point of circling over to the wrap and checking out his interview with uh, you know, McKinnon Summers, which again uh, got posted back on January eighth. Is is uh, when when we shine the bat signal up in the sky to summon a Drew Taylor? <laughs> what 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 is the logo? Is it, is it a beard? Is it a computer keyboard? What what's his uh, logo that we shine up in the sky? I want to say it's an image of Nova the Wonder Dog. Nova the Wonder Dog. The, okay. Nova the Wonder Dog. So uh, we'll, we'll have to check with confusing him. for Nova um, because she always feels like she's being summoned. And he's like, no, you stay. And she's like, but my light is up in the clouds. You stay. I've been summoned. Go. I've been summoned. <laughs> um, but but it, it, what's interesting with these Marvel films is again, you, you mentioned sometimes the villain is, is challenging. And, and as we pivot now to multiverse of madness, this sounds like, especially on the back of the posters that got released last week, and to give us a sense of what's going on with this movie, Stephen Strange appears to not only be the hero, but the hero sidekick and the villain. Um, But we'll get to that in, in the second half of today's show. A couple of quick stories here before we get to Multiverse of Madness. Don't know if you saw the Television Critics Association Winter Press Tour is going on. And a couple of the animated series that Marvel Studios have is in the works for Disney Plus were in the spotlight. Bo DeMeo, the showrunner for X-Men 97, revealed that season one of this series would have 10 episodes and uh, would they be debuting in the late spring of 2023. So we have a little lag time before we get to that. On the other hand, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, front and center, summer of 2022. Once again, Lawrence Fishburne, who's one of the executive producers in the show, shared a clip and ridiculously strong animation, great fun, a lot of color. Uh, Lunella Layette, or excuse me, uh, Lunella Lafayette, aka Moon Girl. This show has a great graphic look. They seem to have a lot of fun. 
with the uh, devil dinosaur character who, again, this is the T-Rex that Lunella actually brings into present-day New York uh, via Time Vortex. Basically behaves like a 10-ton dog. Uh, He's very playful, fiercely loyal, and utterly driven by his appetite. And the two of them have paired up to protect the Lower East Side. That sounds like a lot of fun. And, And seriously, check out the trailer. Do you know uh, what demographic this is aimed at? I have seen it described aimed at the 10 to 13-year-old girl market. Ah, okay. Pixar's got a movie coming out fairly shortly called Turning Red that that is also narrowed in on that audience, but with the idea that you create something, a specific piece of entertainment for an audience chunk, but it's also generally entertaining enough that the rest of the family can sit down and watch it. Okay, because I, I really was confused by the, the fact that they were marketing it initially, the very first clip that came out mm-hmm. uh, was labeled something like Lawrence Fishburne mm-hmm. introduces characters from uh, whatever the title of it is that I can't think of right now. And the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Yeah, so. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be. Very interesting because of Lawrence Fishburne. That's my entryway into this. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence Fishburne talks about the thing and then they show a clip and I could care less. And I, and I didn't know why, like you gave me Lawrence Fishburne. Why is this lame? It's because I'm not a 10 year old girl. And now i I feel absolved of any guilt for not, <laughs> not caring about it. Right. Because I was, I was mm-hmm. actually like, Oh, is is it my fault that I don't like this? I love Lawrence Fishburne. And I think, honestly, this is just a stumble on Disney PR's behalf because 10-year-old girls don't know who the f- Lawrence Fishburne is. So there is no reason to introduce this show that's aimed at 10-year-old girls by saying, hey, everybody, look at Lawrence Fishburne because they don't know and they don't care. And everybody else that you bring in through Lawrence Fishburne will see the result and go, why am I at this very incredibly lame party that was not meant for me? And they will tune out and never come back because they've got a bad taste in their mouth and they, and they can't figure out the hows and the whys of it because they didn't realize that they're not the demographic, right? You've used someone to invite to a party mm-hmm. that is not meant for them to be there. Right. It's like, I want all the goth kids to come to my party and then you get there and it's all my little pony. And they're like, what the hell is this? My problem is that I I hear what you're saying, but at the the same time, I can quote you five and six different times when George Lucas is making the original star Wars. And he, he, for example, talks about, well, this is basically a Disney movie. In fact, you know, this is the budget we're using. And when he was directing Harrison Ford and Gary Fisher on the set of the original Star Wars, you know, to the effect, this is a kid's movie. Actually, that proves the point exactly, Jim, because it it only reinforces what I said, because the the older fans like myself Mm -hmm. hated the prequels because it wasn't for us anymore. It was for the generation after us. They loved it. Oh, my God. Jar Jar Banks, greatest character in motion picture history. Mm -hmm. Well, the rest of us really dislike the character heavily. And then you get to the current trilogy today. Mm-hmm. And it's like all of us old, angry old men, get off my lawn. That ain't my star Wars uh, type mm-hmm. of attitude. And then you've got the people who love the prequels who are like, that's garbage. It's got no Jar Jar in it. 
And then you've got the really young kids who are like, oh my God, Ray and Kylo. I'm going to call them Rilo. That's so beautiful. It's the most tragic love story since that old Shakespeare dude wrote that thing about Romeo and Juliet. That's how it turned out, right? That's exactly it. We kind of like grow out of it because they're making it for kids. And that was the thing is like, that's a kid's thing. And uh, they use the wrong face to introduce us to it. I mean, it's okay that Lawrence Fisher's behind it and he's working on it and he's a part of it. That's wonderful. But in your first clip, don't try him out as like, hey, everybody, look, it's Lawrence Fishburne, because I'm expecting him to swing a sword like he's in the freaking Matrix. And he didn't do that. He didn't do that, Jim. He didn't swing no swords. And uh, so what I got was just not what, is, what, what I was expecting, and, and I was left disappointed. But it was simply because it was the wrong way to introduce it to the wrong demographic. That's like if they swung a, out. That is an interesting observation. We'll, we'll we'll have to circle back on this come the the summer when we have more than thirty eight seconds worth of you know <laughs> Florence Fishburne right, and sure, animation sure, sure. to 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 see what how the the actual show is. Yeah. But uh, back to other Disney Plus news: Armor Wars, which is going to be the limited series to star uh, Don Cheadle as Rhodey. That's supposed to begin shooting uh, in October November. Of this year? Hey, remember when he got nominated for an award for showing up on set one day? Wasn't that a hoot? <laughs> remember how we were all excited about that? Like, hey, I remember that, that one day that he showed up on set and smiled and said, uh, what, two sentences, three sentences, and then was never heard from again. He won an award wow. for that. No, wow. it's okay. He tweeted out, hey, guys, I don't get it either, but whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay. It's just an award. And uh, while we're talking about limited series, uh, Loki star Goku Mabath Ra was on Good Morning America late last week and revealed uh, she will be playing Judge Ravana Renslayer again in season two of Loki, which will begin shooting in London this summer. And you got to wonder if uh, they're the limited series that's going into the sound stages that secret invasion is shooting over in the UK right now. And speaking of which uh, we were talking earlier in the show about Zoe Saldana and getting on Instagram and getting cuffed by, you know, Marvel security. The black bag went over her head. She was dragged into the van, kicking and screaming. You hush young lady. Take that picture down. Marvel PR team. Guest starring Zoe Saldana. Wednesday evenings, only on CBS. Well, the interesting thing is Samuel <laughs> Jackson did the exact same thing this week. He took a picture in his dressing room oh, no. of a far younger Nick Fury, a, a, a Nick Fury with no scar and no eye patch. Well, no, wait a minute. Hold on. What was, he, he took a picture of it, so it, it wasn't a picture of It wasn't a selfie, as the kids would say, right? I, I think he took it in the mirror. Oh, okay. I, I like I, for some reason I was thinking like a stunt double that was you know like you don't de-age like right there on the spot. You got to do that visually uh, and visual effects. So I was like wondering how how young did Sam look if it was just makeup? Here's the thing he tweeted out with this image: patch, no patch, scar, no scar, old school fury. Got to find the groove and then hashtag secret evasion, hashtag just like riding a bike. Mm. And, you know, there was no Disney or excuse me, Marvel security breaking in and making Mr. Jackson take down his Instagram post because you don't do that to Samuel Jackson. 
<laughs> I can imagine the expletives that would go flying from that mouth once they tried to place a bag over his head. They No, they would be put in their place, uh, rightfully so. And uh, they go. would he- leave with their heads held low. Marvel PR team. Anybody move out, blow your head off. I'm sorry, Mr. Jackson. For real. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and seeing as we're sharing Marvel Studio news, we might as well share a little Spunk news. We had news that Dakota Johnson is going to star in Madam Web. What's your take on that, Aaron? I like it. Yeah, I w- I'm curious to find out what everyone else thinks. If you want to tweet us your reaction to the casting of Dakota Johnson, I, I think it's really cool. I think mm-hmm. she's a great actress, uh, a welcome, welcome addition to the MCU, whether it's Spunk universe mm-hmm. or, or proper MCU doesn't matter. She's a good actress. And uh, mm-hmm. I am curious, though, because, I, you know, when I'm familiar with Madam Web, it's the old version that can't move. She's mm-hmm. stuck in a place with a medical condition. And and so everything has, you know, like Peter has to come to her and ask for advice. She's like the Oracle baking cookies, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I do understand, I guess, there was a younger, more action-oriented version of Madam Web that they had in the comics at some point. So I, I'm assuming... That's the version that she will be playing of Madam Web. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that as well, but we have a screenplay for this thing being written by Matt Samza and Burke Sharpless. Uh, they're the folks who handled the script for Morbius, and uh, we also have a director already assigned to this project, and S.J. Clarkson. I, I wonder about the, the, the Morbius screenwriter's choice, you know, whether or not their take on that character is going to impact, you know, how Madame Web is approached and in what time period Madame Web gets approached. I wonder how, how much chit-chat they do, like, while they're brainstorming uh, of... Obviously, you're focused on your project. If you're writing Morbius, you're writing Morbius. That's it. Case mm-hmm. closed. But, ah, what if... I know Madame Web's right around the corner. What if we uh, had this little thing that tied to it? And they call up, you know, like Amy Pascal and go, Amy, we got an idea. What do you think if we did this? And she's like, oh, my God. And then she throws a sandwich at (laughs) Kevin Feige for no reason, uh, just out of sheer excitement, and then says, yeah, write that. That would be cool. Kevin will hate us. I, don't know, I, mean, like, I, I, I think they, they have to they have to do some pre-planning, right? I mean, they're trying to they orchestrate, do, they and, do. and they don't have Kevin to shepherd it the way that Kevin does for Marvel. So I think mm-hmm. Amy is the head of, of all of that, and so she's going to be the, the mouthpiece and the filter that everything is run through at Sony. And uh, I don't know how much input she has in, in the storytelling aspect, right? Maybe she just mm-hmm. hires talented people and lets them do their job and lets the brain trust critique and revise, et cetera. But she's still got to have like a game plan and she's got to be receptive to creative ideas that help tie all of this together. Because if they want to replicate it, they have to be open to that. You know, where's the, where are those threads of connectivity? And uh, so I, I kind of have this feeling that the writers are like, you know, focus on Morbius. But if you think of anything cool for Madam Web, shoot me an email real quick. Quick, quick. Speaking of Morbius, and uh, this probably isn't 
uh, as significant a piece of news as it might appear initially. That, you know, because face it, Morbius's release date has been shoved back and forth multiple times. But what's interesting is this Spunk film uh, is supposed to be opening one week early in the Middle East. Uh, it's uh, rather than April first. It's supposed to be in that region. Cinescape, a Kuwait-based cinema chain, announced it's opening in in that part of the world on March 24th. But a lot of the MCU films did open overseas early uh, rather than in North America. And and that was always explained to me, you know, know, by folks working here. Yes, yes, yeah. that's it exactly. You know, that, that we didn't want it to open in New York, you know, on a Friday and on Saturday be available, you know, on the streets in Taiwan. Uh, and speaking of discs, the Spider-Man No Way Home Blu-ray, which again, doesn't have a release date now because Marvel and Sony Legal made that, you know, all of those sites scrub the date off. But we do know that it will have 20 featurettes and five deleted scenes from the film. That much is leaked. Uh, now to turn to this coming weekend is the Super Bowl. And during the Super Bowl, there is, a, you know, for years now, studios will spend big bucks to run cut-down versions of the, their theatrical trailers to get, you know, because it's supposedly the largest television audience of the year. No, it's the, the cheapest. <laughs> well, no, I mean, if, if you do a per eyeball breakdown, because mm-hmm. you have so many millions of eyeballs tuned in at that one focal point, mm-hmm. that if you were to try and get that kind of coverage through radio, print, and whatever, it would cost mm-hmm. you like a billion dollars no. to get that many no. uh, eyes and, and ears. But anyway, they're all focused on Super Bowl, so I, uh, dollars per eyeballs, it is actually mm-hmm. the cheapest advertising that you can get, even though the price tag is like $3 million or whatever for 15 That's seconds. True. So That's uh, true. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, effective advertising mm-hmm. is what it is. No, absolutely. And this is the week where those trailers, you know, the, uh, start to drop. In mm-hmm. fact, just earlier today, we had uh, the trailer for Pixar's uh, film for the summer of 2022, a light year drop. Mm-hmm. So Aaron and I were debating, you know, whether or not we should, uh, you know, record tonight. Because, you know, given our luck, the <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness trailer will drop tomorrow. In fact, the, the way Disney typically operates is they tease these things on social media. And, and we were both sort of looking around and no hint so far no if you if you can listen very closely just we'll we'll take just one second and listen Mm -hmm. that's the helicopter it's a it's a a black helicopter but it has been hovering for the last half hour and they're waiting for us to stop recording as soon as we click stop on the old recording device uh they'll they'll release the trailer so yeah just uh if you if you hear the buzzing in the background jim that's just been the helicopter circling waiting for us to finish well, I, I don't know if you saw last week, we did get seven promotional posters for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness that were decidedly trippy. We also got our description of the film, in, uh, which reads as follows. In Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Badness, the MCU unlocks the multiverse and pushes its boundaries further than ever before. Journey into the unknown with Doctor Strange, who, with the help of mystical allies, both old and new, traverses the mind-bending and dangerous alternate realities of multiverse to confront a mysterious new adversary. 
Did you get a chance to eyeball these posters at all, or? No, I haven't. I'm trying to scroll through. Now, are we just trying to say that, is it Shumagorath, the, the tentacle monster that's featured in the trailer for half of a second? Is that the new big bad or is it the dark doctor strange that we think is the new big bad what do you what do you think the belief now is that we are actually dealing with a trio of doctor stranges in fact one of the, at least one of the posters sort of shows the evil doctor strange and the supreme sorcerer supreme version of Doctor Strange, and then we have Stephen Strange. Uh, the, you know, oh the yeah, they're kind of like yeah. Okay, so I, I'm seeing them now. They are rather very very trippy. The red one looks like a mm-hmm. whole lot of evil, ready to to break free. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, these are these are good character poses. Even though it's still a bunch of floating heads, at least they're doing it better than uh, all of them arranged in a circle. Except for that one, that's all of them arranged in a circle. Never mind, I take it back. And by the way, something else that that turned up this week, and I, I hesitate to bring this up because the quality of the image was right up there with you, you know. Every so often, you see those photos of Bigfoot standing next sure, to Elvis yeah. at the the ramp of a UFO. Yep, this was a shot of Tom Cruise. With a Tony Stark beard, you know, <laughs> against a, a green screen back, background, supposedly shooting footage for Doctor Strange in, in the Multiverse of Madness, which remember, we recently shared that ridiculous list of cameos and both you and I were frustrated because we knew somewhere on this ridiculous list were actual people who were actually going to be in the movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this this image churned up and it just sort of like, oh, you know, could you at least have done a decent job with the fake? And now, of course, having said that, this will actually be a shot from the movie. I will be proven wrong. Mm. But I'm intrigued by the notion of Master Mordo, who's supposedly a variant of Mordo. So it would appear that he, in his own reality, is a Sorcerer Supreme. Likewise, you had to have enjoyed the, the images of the Scarlet Witch, Wanda and her new outfit heading into this film. I mean, you got to sell the toys. And the only way to do that is to give them the cost, a new costume every movie. But it's the first time that we actually get Scarlet in her Scarlet Witch costume that we would know from, from a more comic book look. I am so glad that you said toys, because I don't know if you are aware of the Legend series of toys that that Hasbro is doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for Marvel. Good looking figures. Because they're doing, you know, a Doctor Strange set. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool about the Doctor Strange set is they this is a Build-A-Figure set, mm-hmm. and yep. that if you collect all of them, you, you can assemble a Rintra the big green minotaur, I guess, who's in the trailer for like a second, ah. but evidently is a, a central figure in this film. But the only way you get to build one of those, the Hasbro version of it, is you have to buy all the toys. I don't normally go in for that stuff, but it just sort of like, oh, I want a minotaur. You know? Yeah, no, I did that back in the old days when they had uh, the Galactus build a fig, and then yes, there was the, yes. uh, the Sentinel. Uh, build a fig mm-hmm. also I think was before that and so uh, yeah I got those from from that and I usually do get suckered into it while we're on the subject of toys uh, hot mm-hmm. toys has finally been able to release their images for spider-man far from home figures and mm-hmm. so they've got a green goblin and uh, the special edition he comes with his glider and boy let me tell you I'm getting the glider 
and then along with that, they've also released pictures of their Alfred Molina in Doc Ock. And the, this is the one where I think everybody universally agrees the head sculpt on Alfred is <laughs> because if I were to take my iPhone and hold it up to any of my Tony Stark figures, it will say mm. that's Robert Downey Jr. I can unlock Robert Downey Jr.'s cell phone using a hot toy as if, you know, I mean, it's that good looking. Mm-hmm. And um, this does not look like Alfred Molina, not not even a little bit. And so I think that they might end up doing a re-sculpt because the fan voice has been pretty unanimous in uh, that needs some more work. <laughs> Put it back in the oven. It's not done baking. Uh, but the toy mm-hmm. itself, the the tentacles and the outfit, the suit, the everything else looks spectacular. And, uh, yeah, and, I mean, it's still got, like, another year before it comes out. I said they've got a really long lead time on their, like, hey, yeah. look what we got to the time it comes out. So both the Goblin and Doc Ock will not be released at least until, like, mid-next year. Okay. So they got some time. Yeah. But it looks great um, for yeah. the most part, and we can't, add, can't wait to add them to the collection. Normally, this time of year, we would start to see lots more teases of toys because, of course, Toy Fair – traditionally held in uh, New York this time of year. In fact, we were just talking about the the President's Day weekend. That, that's when it was normally held at the Javits Center from the 19th of February through the 22nd. But That's uh, why I never on, got to go. It was President's Day weekend. That was always at a mattress sale. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, no, Nancy and I used to love to drive down to the Javits Center because what was amazing about it is that you would see, in fact, just as you were talking, you know, the, the, all of these companies that had you know licensed toys for upcoming films, and you you get to get these great previews of movies that would either be coming out that you know that spring, that summer, or sometimes as far out as the holiday of that year. And unfortunately, back on January twelfth, I want to say for the second year in a row now, the Toy Fair uh, International got shut down mm. hoping it would be back for 2023 which if what you're saying is true the hot toy of uh green goblin and doc ock will, will probably be front and center there and maybe by then it'll fix the sculpt in my random it wanders down toy aisles mm-hmm. there has not been a lot of diversity of the spider-man toys and i was wondering is that because marvel so closely guarded the secret of andrew and toby that they didn't even leak that to their toy partners and there's just no toys available for that because I think they would be selling like crazy if there'd be a Toby and an Andrew Spider-Man along with a Tom Spider-Man and all the villains in toy form. And it's just not there. I want to say that in target, there was a $97 assortment of Spider-Man toys that was fascinating about the set is it was, Tom Holland Spider-Man with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. They also had the villain from uh, Far From Home. Mysterio. Mysterio. What was fascinating, it was about 10 figures on a pretty sizable cardboard box. And it was just, but it was, you know, and it was. Missing 90% of the characters from No Way Home. Yeah, well, that was. The, but the interesting thing is, it was the the logo that was used to sell this was the Spider Man uh, No Way Home logo, and yeah, and, and that was the thing. It was looking at it. It was one of these things where it's like, and this was when you and I were discussing all of the rumors about Andrew and all the rumors about Toby, and it was just sort of looking at okay, 
who actually made the box? Who actually got revealed? I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if this was a secret that was almost too closely held to the vest so that they weren't able to capitalize on all of that success with toys. The You make a freaking fortune off of the toy side of your division, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could tell a hundred stories about animated movies and how, you know, they're in the park or they're making sequels just based on toy sales. It's so interesting you say that because there's the famous story about Disney buys, um, you know, uh, Marvel in, what is it, August of 2009. Mm. They call Sony and we need to have a meeting. And Sony panics because they think, oh my God, they're going to pull the film rights to Spider-Man. And the Disney reps arrive and sit down with the folks at Sony. It's like, no, you keep the film rights, but we are taking back the toy rights. Right. And that's the sweetest cherry of them all because that's where the real money is. Yeah. Especially for Disney and Marvel right now. If they're not getting, if they're only getting like 25% of the film because that's all Mm -hmm. they put in and the, and the budget, you know, uh, they got to make banks somewhere out of that. And I mean, I've got a copy of of that book about the, when Ike Perlmutter was was making his run initially at Marvel, and it and it wasn't for the comics; it was for the characters, for the for the, the rights to make the toys, yeah. you know. And to this day, so that that's another story we're going to have to the circle around to at some point. But for now, folks, that's going to do it for this week's mud. Aaron, as always, you've put a lot of interesting. Fun stuff up online. I, you know, in fact, what were, what were you talking recently about having to adjust Len's voice to what? Add a little more chagrin or irony? I forget which dial you had to to spin. To, oh no, it was you know. it, someone was asking if he he didn't sound as jubilant. So I, I yeah. said, well, that was my fault because I didn't run Len through the jubilizer plugin. There we go. Yeah. There we yeah. go. So, you know, th- th- some fun stuff online. So it's, where can they find you in the, the, the social media realm? Well, on Twitter is the quickest way, at Azaprod. But I have to caution, you do have to write it in Chinese because I am at the Winter Olympics. I am uh, taking part in the extreme sledding competition. I, I did place good enough to uh, win aluminum, I think. It smells like <laughs> tuna, and I it, it could just be the lid off of a Friskies can. But uh, I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, oh. Just are are you luging? Please tell me you're not luging. No, no, I haven't hawked up a luge in in a while. My (laughs) the phlegm has cleared up, so I haven't been luging at at all. And it's Uh, it's really gross to spit in public, so I try not to luge until I get back to the hotel. There we go. Okay, well, on the other hand, for for us social media, we're we're that much easier to to follow. Nancy would, would like me to remind you all that. You can find us on social media on uh, Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. Over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. We do have two other podcasts we do here. We have Disney Dish with Len Testa, who we, uh, Aaron was just chatting about. And likewise, uh, we have Drew Taylor, uh, the gentleman who uh, did uh, that interview with uh, Chris McKenna and uh, Eric Summers uh, for The Wrap. Yeah, so, so if you want, want your Marvel content, don't come here. Mm-hmm. Go to Drew from Fine Tuning, <laughs> the animation show. On the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. On the wrap. His interview over on the wrap.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I guess that's going to do it for this week. So uh, I have to go outside and wave off the the black helicopter. So uh, for now, thanks for listening. And Aaron and I will be back soon.